yeah, it always makes my day when I see a, a response from some gigantic company, like senior marketing manager at PepsiCo will respond to a client and say, wow, this is such a great timely email. We have a project that might be right up your alley. Hi, I'm Joel Pilger, and you are listening to episode 77 of the Rev Thinking Podcast. Today, my guest is Emmett Armstrong, and our topic is diet and exercise. Welcome to Rev Thinking, the podcast for creative entrepreneurs who know the best way to deal with the future is to create it. This is the conversation between creative leaders and consultants discussing what it really takes to run a thriving creative business. Hello, all you fabulous creative entrepreneurs. Joel here. And today we are going to be talking about marketing and sales and especially that intersection or that transition in your creative firm where marketing turns into sales. My guest is Emmett Armstrong, and I'm excited to chat with Emmett for you to hear this conversation because Emmett and I have been working together for quite a few years, and Emmett's company helps creative entrepreneurs solve this riddle of lead generation and outreach. How do we find new prospective clients and get conversations started? And then, of course, is the piece of the equation that I work on a lot, and that is how do we qualify and nurture these opportunities and turn them into better clients that have bigger budgets so that you can be doing great projects and producing great work at your creative firm? Now, there is a bit of context that I can recommend that if you have not heard my previous podcast, which is called Everyone Has a Sales Problem, I definitely recommend that you go back and listen to that because in that, I set up this broader context of why is it so hard these days? It seems like it should be so simple. And the simple theory is we should just focus on producing great work. If we produce great work, everything else will just take care of itself. And in that podcast, I explain why that's a myth and why there's actually five elements that you have to stack up from your genius to your positioning, to your outreach, to those better clients, and then ultimately great work. So go back and listen to that episode if you have not heard it, and then you'll enjoy my conversation with Emmett, where we really start asking this question of what does it take for a creative firm nowadays, and specifically, how do creative firms do lead generation? How do they get leads, and how do they qualify them? How do they nurture them? This is the conversation we're going to get into today, and I think you'll find it instructive. So with that set up, here is my conversation with Emmett. So let's start with the dream, right? Because we're talking to owners who run, say, creative studios, production companies, agencies, that kind of thing. What is the big dream everybody is looking for? You want to take a crack at it and then I'll take a crack at it? Sure. Well, I, I'm not in your shoes as a former agency owner, but my best guess is that everyone wants to do great work with great people. So even in, even in my consulting job, basically, I, I love being a part of that. And I love the idea that we together can collaborate and make some great projects. So that would kind of be the dream in my mind, doing what you love, uh, making enough money to survive and thrive off of it. Yeah. And great work, great people. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I'm, you know, I don't even need to repeat what you said, because I think you, I think you pretty much nailed it. And I love that you actually put it as simply as uh, the phrase great work, 
because I think something in the heart of the creative is very much like I want to make something amazing and create something that's that I love and that the world loves. Now, let's start talking about some of the obstacles though, because as soon as you or I or any creator out there says, I want to make something amazing, the obstacles start coming up. Like, oh, I need resources, which means I need money. I need a budget. I need time. And I need somebody like a client that's going to give me that said time and yeah. money. And now it starts, now, now the complexity starts to enter in, right? So I remember you and I were, were onboarding a new client and they said something really insightful that I, I'm sure you've repeated it several times, but uh, the guy was saying, I thought I was going to be doing great, great work, but it turns out I'm just running a business. And he didn't yes, actually I, get to I, do the artistic work that he loves because he's running the business. Yeah, no, I remember that. <clears throat> that yeah, that was um, that was a studio the where the owner was saying, "I always dreamed of running a creative studio, but then one day I woke up and realized I was running a business." And I thought yeah, that yeah. was so. Yeah, that was such a concise way of putting it because it made it kind of makes you realize every creative person starts out dreaming of this thing like great work and collaborate with great people. <clears throat> and then if they achieve a little bit of success, they quickly realize, oh, wait, I think I'm running a business and this is all consuming, just trying to keep this business going because I now I need clients, I need, I need leads, prospects, deals, projects, and that's, of course, what we're here to talk about today. <laughs> so just, let's do this. Let's start with this. Give me the quick nutshell version um, of you and what you do at OnRamp for anyone that doesn't know you and then then i can sort of segue and tell you tell everyone why why we're here chatting today okay great so as some of you guys may know joel certainly knows this but uh i i used to work with the team at RevThink. i was hired by tim basically right out of high school just took me under his wing and trained me in the art of consulting and and how to listen to someone's problems and help work through it great experience highly recommend if anyone gets a chance <laughs> So I, I learned from Tim, learned from Joel. Uh, those guys at RevThink are great. And about two years ago, I actually had an opportunity to take over this company called OnRamp. And the old owner, he was in some, some personal, a personal stage of his life where he needed an actual job. He wasn't able to be an entrepreneur. Um, and I was, basically. So it was a perfect opportunity for me to transition out of the RevThink umbrella and onto my own thing. So that's that's a little bit of my personal backstory. Now, OnRamp is mm -hmm. a company, uh, we basically specialize in lead generation and I would say sales support. And the tagline that I use is that we help creative companies keep their sales pipeline full because mm -hmm. that's really the dream uh, for, for my side of the business is I'm not the guy that's closing the deals. I'm not like a rep. Uh, I don't I don't shake hands and try to push your company. Um, but I help that same process, the sales cycle, through cold email and lead generation. So OnRamp is focused very much at the beginning of the sales cycle, right? Meaning you're doing that lead generation piece and that initial cold outreach, um, but but not not representing, not actually doing the the sale and the close and that sort of stuff. I might even use this term that you find the doors and knock on the doors 
but then is that is that is that the in effect the sum total of your role in the sales cycle for your clients it is yeah and the reason i do it like that it's a purposeful choice because i started to realize that uh, when my clients were asking for more and more consulting and more support i i was basically taking up a pretty big chunk of their budget and the other option like some of the the, the way that reps work is that they take a percent of the deal and to me that yeah. just seems it seems like a bit of a burden to the production company for that kind of thing. And maybe this is just a, a personal thing that I have, but I would rather just try to be really efficient and really lean. And I would rather scale this, scale my service for multiple clients. And if there's any reps out there, I mean, you guys do some great work, but I don't understand necessarily how you choose to pitch one client over another. So you have a project come in or you know of a project, how do you decide who to pick? In my position, I never have to decide that because I'm working at such a large scale and there's there's almost no overlap because it's a very, like you said, knocking on a lot of different doors. And I'm not knocking on the same door over and over because I only know yep. 5,000 people. I have, I have a giant list and it's much bigger than that. Well, let's maybe even dissect uh, um, or maybe do a cursory summary of what I would call some of the traditional approaches and solutions. So let's go back to the dream. Right. The dream is we want, we want to produce great work at my studio, and that means we need new clients, which means we're going to close new deals with these clients and, and do amazing projects that have great budgets, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the traditional solutions as a, as a studio is growing is often the owner is that person that's getting out there, hustling, meeting people right? And doing, doing sales. That's pretty common in your experience as well, right? Sure. But then often the, the owner feels like, hey, I want to stay involved in the work. I don't really want to be doing sales. And so they will then say, well, let's hire a salesperson or let's hire a rep. That's probably even more traditional mm -hmm. of a thought. Um, or let's hire a junior person who's going to quote, do marketing. And I'm putting air quotes around that because they'll do they'll do outreach and get us meetings and then the owner will come in and, and kind of close the deal but here's what you and i know because we've seen this happen over and over and over again especially when you hire someone hires a salesperson or they hire a rep one it may not work and number two it can be really expensive and by the time you wake up and realize this isn't working you maybe have spent fifty thousand a hundred thousand i've seen i've seen companies spend $200,000 on a top salesperson over a period of a year, year and a half, and get no results. And that always just completely freaking breaks my heart. And you know this story, because I know you've, you have a lot of clients that have experienced that as well. Am I right? Uh, yep, definitely right. And it seems like, it seems like I'm a little bit of a rebound from something like that every once in a while. I'll get a client that's, that's, funny. that's they've been burned by spending a lot of money and then I'm able to present an alternative that is a little more scalable and a little more uh, affordable because it is such a different offering. So it's a different approach, not the traditional hire someone to pitch my company, like you're saying. Right. Okay. Cause, cause here's, I'm going to, I'm going to get to a couple of the, of the obstacles and maybe this is something that some listeners, they may not appreciate until we, we unpack this a little bit, but if a, 
if you if if I were to hire a salesperson at my creative studio, <clears throat> there's a very glaring question called who are you going to call? Like who's the salesperson actually going to reach out to? And this is what you and I would generally call lead generation. Oh, I'm going to go on LinkedIn and I'm going to find people to reach out to and I'm going to open up my Rolodex and reach out to all these people that quote I know and that know me and you know, supposedly that's amazingly invaluable, which it's not anymore, but <laughs> the challenge is now, so think about this. So Emmett, you, if you've hired a salesperson and you're paying this person 70, 80, 90, $100,000 a year, plus 5% commission or something, and that person is spending most of their day scraping LinkedIn or buying an email list and sending one-off emails, you're spending an enormous amount of money for really the job that wouldn't normally require a seasoned expert high salary to do. So that's that's one problem. And let me flip that around on you for a sec. In your experience as an agency owner and working with other agency owners, if you had a, a dedicated person for lead gen in-house, what would be their target? Like every day I want you to send... 10 emails or, or 15 or 20, like what is that number? Oh, I know. I, Realistically. Well, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it would probably be, I would probably hope if I had somebody that, it's like the, the, the premise is somewhat false because studios and, and agency owners, they don't actually do that. They don't actually hire <laughs> right. like a junior person that would even do that. I wish they would because it could work. Even that's expensive. But yes, a goal might be, I want you to make 10 outreaches a day. I, I would love for you to send t either 10 emails, do 10 phone calls, do 10 something um, a day. That would be, I think, a pretty, a fairly ambitious goal. Um, but even that, I mean, sure, now you're not pay paying a $100,000 a year person to do lead, lead generation. Maybe this is a $40,000 a year person. Um, but most studios are not in a position to put that person on their payroll. I mean, we could obviously go into detail why that is, but let's just, for the sake of time and space, go with that. That you, if you run a small studio, you're not going to be like, oh, and my my fifth or sixth employee, my sixth, fifth or sixth hire is going to be a full-time person doing lead generation. That's just yeah, not, right. that's not, like you need a producer. You know, you need to hire your next, animator you maybe need to hire um, an art director or something you're, you're not thinking oh yeah i need somebody to do lead generation full-time here well and what i've seen several in several different iterations of different clients is that they've got maybe two partners and they're both creative or maybe one's a little more producer oriented and one's a little more creative oriented and then mm -hmm. their third hire is a formal executive producer so that both the partners can do the creative stuff and then that third person, they have to executive produce and they have to do the sales work as well. So to ask right. that person, employee number three, how many lead gen emails can you send every day? That's a lot harder of a request because there's so much more work and it's spread out over only three people instead of even five or six. I'll say this. I love that formula you just described because I've seen it work over and over and over again in the industry where you have say a superstar creative director a superstar ep and that executive producer is that person who's producing the jobs but also 
doing the account service and doing new business, taking meetings, doing the bids and all that sort of stuff. However, if you run a creative studio and you're saying, yeah, I got to go get me one of those, I'll just tell you right now, it is not that simple. And I don't know why, but it's, it's almost becoming increasingly difficult because I have many owners that say, yeah, Joel, I think it's time for us to go hire a rockstar EP that's going to do sales for us. And I just tell them, well, it, it, it's going to take at least a year. It might take two or three. And in the meantime, what's our strategy? <laughs> right? Right. Because we can't just sit around and hope that this person is going to show up. It's, it takes a lot of time. And I'm a big fan of that because that's what I would call internal sales. You know, where your sales are really being done uh, by your own team. But like, okay, what do we do in the meantime? Because now we got to do this lead generation thing. We got to find potential clients and so forth. And then, then we got to know, okay, once we start generating them, even, even if we solve that piece, what do we do with them? And this is like that broader idea of sales keeping that you and I've been, of course, talking about for a long time. And I'm starting to share with the industry and say, you know, there actually is a body or a set of best practices um, that work that are that are effective, but it's very much this idea of systems and routines, not this idea of, oh, I'm going to go hire a messiah called a killer executive producer, and she'll be the one to save the day and, and bring us all this great business. She, she's going to handle the lead gen for us. That's right. She's going to do it all. It's going to be amazing. We just have to go find that person. Um, I'm thinking of this this expression a buddy of mine shared years ago. And he said, you know, the cavalry's not coming. Like right. the, this, this uh, Messiah hero dream EP that, you know, you're hoping is just going to eventually knock you on your door someday and say, I would love to come be part of your team. You know, he or she may not be coming. And uh, we should create a plan called, here's what we're going to do in the meantime. And maybe that person does uh, arrive and show up someday. But in the meantime, we're still going to build a business and be successful. I like that, man. That is a hard truth. You know, as a small business owner myself, it, it's hard to figure out what you can look to the future and then what you actually just have to take a bite out of and start now. Uh, it's like, right. was it, was it Eisenhower? He had on his desk, he said, the buck stops here. That was the plaque mm-hmm. on his desk. Yep. And yep. that's, that's got to be our mindset as entrepreneurs. It's like, you know what? No one is coming to save the day. <laughs> the buck stops here and I got to figure it out. Yeah. And I think the, you know, we talked about reps. That's almost the, yep. that's sort of the, that's point. the easy, it's like an easy answer that people think, oh, well, let's just get a rep because yes, you can pay somebody a few thousand dollars a month on a retainer and pay them 10% and they'll quote, start repping you. But that formula model is let's just say it's being challenged and it's in decline and i would say it's certainly an option for some people and look into it consider it i certainly have hired and negotiated with my fair share of reps over the years and you've you've had a lot of those interactions yourself but uh when you and i started working together and you started really fine-tuning the system that you developed at onramp um, I mean, that's ultimately what led to this conversation was I said, God, I would love to get Emmett on the podcast to sort of pick your brain as an expert who's been solving this problem a different way um, and get your perspective. So let me let me throw you a question. 
So if, if I'm a studio owner and I'm saying, I'm hearing this and I'm going, okay, yeah, that's a really good point. We do need, we do need lead generation. Uh, we have to go find leads. What is it that's so hard about that? Why is that, why is that even a problem? Well, that's a good question. I think, I think the first place is knowing where to start. Now, you mentioned a couple things, even just in our conversation so far. Some of the things people think of is like, okay, I'm going to go on LinkedIn. I'm going to find some targets and maybe I'll buy some lists so I can get those people's email addresses. You kind of breezed past it, but if you think about all the steps required, that's not just a five or 10 minute thing. Number one, <laughs> are you going to have LinkedIn sales navigator? Are you going to have a separate account so that it doesn't conflict with your main account? Uh, how are you going to get the emails once you find the person's actual, like their title and you find the right target? How are you going to get their email? Are you going to pay for that, et cetera, et cetera? There's questions down the line. Sorry to interrupt, but I'm, I was going to say, yeah. And then what the heck do you even say in the email, right? Like there's a, there's a whole best practice of how you even make an introduction. And then don't even get me started on your and I other favorite topic, and that is, well, how is your company even positioned? And oh, what does exactly. it you say about yourself and your name and your portfolio and all that stuff that that you know is just there from the very start when you make an introduction? So obviously that's a whole other podcast. But please uh, right. continue. Well, and if you break all those things down into their different steps and the owner perhaps is is distracted by other things or I get it. Like not everyone has time to train your, your new hires, how to do every step of the process. I think it was the E-Myth, the book, the E-Myth. One of the author's points was that the owner should have every job title in the whole business and should learn how to do that job and write it down for the next person who comes along. And then the owner moves on to something else and he hires someone to go behind him, him or her. And right. that is a sounds, great model. Sounds great. It sounds great. I know, right? But how many of us actually have time to do every job in our business and do it well and write it down in a way that someone else can understand it? So if, just say, for example, if the owner hasn't done those steps and doesn't necessarily know what's involved in lead gen themselves, and then they try to hire someone or direct someone to, quote, go get us new leads, unquote, I think that right there can be sort of a daunting task. And it was Tim Thompson that told me one time that if someone is not responding to your email or if they're not, if they're not doing what you've asked them to do, it's probably not necessarily because they don't like you. It's not because they're afraid of you or, or you need to be nicer or any of those things. It's not because of you. It's because they don't know what they're supposed to do and they're ignoring you instead of telling you that they have a problem. So just following up again and again, Hey, did you get those leads for me? That's not the solution. It's like, hey, you I haven't hate. gotten back to me about this. What are you stuck on? And so let me comment on that. Ask. Yeah, go ahead. I love, I love the point that you're making because I, I often say this, that, that yes, I want owners to delegate, but I don't want them to abdicate. And so, for example, in the area of sales, what I find is, the you can't really delegate something that you don't first understand yourself right or that you haven't or that you haven't mastered to some to some extent 
And so the idea often of hiring a rep is, is it's kind of like a punt. It's like, I don't really understand this whole sales thing or this lead generation thing. So I'm just going to throw some money at this person called a rep who supposedly does know how to do this. And you're just abdicating. You're not really delegating. You're saying, I don't understand sales. I don't know what makes sales and lead gen and marketing, all this stuff work. So you just handle it and bring me jobs, bring me clients. And yes, that sort of worked 20 years ago. It worked less 10 years ago. And nowadays it's extremely rare that that formula works because the owner really needs to understand what's involved in lead gen and saleskeeping before it can be delegated. And I think that's the point you're making. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. So then what? So the owner needs to take a class on lead generation so that they can master lead generation and all of its complexities and nuances and then create some sort of a a operations Bible and teach some young intern or assistant how to take over? Because <laughs> that doesn't sound like that doesn't sound fun. Well, I guess it's a question of how how successful do you want your business to be? <laughs> and that okay, that sounds harsh. Let me back down from that a little bit. But I, I'm working with a client that the owner is this killer. He's got this one-two punch of really strong creative and really strong business analysis and systems development. Like he he has this inc- incredible mind of knowing what data needs to be collected. And in his own words, he says, I don't necessarily know how this data fits together, but I know that it needs to be collected and I can pay someone to fit it together and answer the questions. He basically, he knows the questions that he has and he knows what data he needs to answer those questions. He just needs the in-between. Someone needs to put it into a dashboard or someone needs to make a chart out of it or whatever. But he, he kind of knows in his mind that these systems need to be built so that this data can be collected. Right. So he has an incredibly successful business because of those things. And because he is, from my perspective, he is doing what you're saying. Yeah, he has taken the time to systematize his business and put it into processes that people can follow. And it's it's really paid off. So I think to some extent... We, we're talking about it a little bit lightly, but that is what it takes to run a successful business. Yeah, I'm, I got exposed to this really cool quote. Do you know James Clear? He wrote this book recently that a lot of people have been talking about um, called Atomic Habits. But he has this killer quote that the more I've been processing it, the more I'm like, wow. He says, um, you, you do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. I love that. I think I I told you that quote. (laughs) Well, it's probably very likely. So now I got a new one for you too, actually. This is the same. It's along the same lines. Uh, Three simple words. Simplify, amplify, repeat. Oh, interesting. Sure. Sure. So in in this lead generation thing, I think if people are reading, basically picking up what you and I are putting down here, is we're saying if you approach this in a way that's disciplined and you realize it's not about just having a goal, it actually is about treating it like a system, creating some sort of a routine, whether that's internal, external with someone like an on-ramp or whatever, that that's where over time the magic is going to happen. 
Is that is is that, are we aligned on that? Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up to the surface because we've been we've been talking around that same issue for a little bit, and it's a good point. I mean, so there are two paths. I don't want to just come on your podcast and sell my service. I, I that would be disrespectful to you and to your listeners. Uh, so the, like the first path, of course, yeah, do something like this in house. And from my perspective, it's not impossible, but I would say it's tricky um, because you do need to know. I, I would say number one, who is buying your service? Is it agency account managers or is it brand managers at local packaged food companies? Like who is it that that you're going to sell to? And mm-hmm. that right there takes time and it obviously it has to do with your company DNA and your business model. So yeah, that's, that's something to lock down. And then from there you need to find out what is the sales cycle look like and how do I, how do I generate those leads? Where do I get the email addresses? Where do I find new people? Uh, That's, that's a problem in itself too, because your existing clients, maybe they're your friends, or maybe you used to work with them when you worked for Joel at Impossible, and we had all these contacts, <laughs> and whatever. Right. Uh, so finding new clients outside of your existing network is an obstacle right there. And all of these things can be solved with systems. And I, I do think they can all be done in-house, but it's just, it's like anything. Like If you want to build something that you've never had before, you have to do things that you've never done. So yeah, do some research, yeah, read well some said. books about sales, talk to Joel, talk to me. And yeah, I, so what you're saying, your your point, Joel, was that the way to make this happen internally is to have really strong systems. And I would say absolutely, strong systems are the way to go. And and then here's the bugaboo. It's this, it's this gap because the number of creative firms that I've worked with over the past five years that actually have this working internally are, I mean, if I'm honest, they're probably north of $20 million a year in annual revenue in terms of their size. And everyone below that is doing something else. So there's this, so to the person who's running the small studio, uh, it can very much feel like you're between a rock and a hard place because you can't really afford the time to learn all this stuff and then build the system and then hire this person. Um, so of course that's why I, so many of my clients get plugged in with you because your the way that you do it is uh, I would say more scalable for those smaller firms that are growing, which I love, which, which I love obviously. But now let's, let's ask this question because you and I, we obviously have a lot of history of having worked together and there's another piece to this puzzle that you and I have been trying to crack this this riddle because let's say when an agency they they're doing their lead generation they're doing that initial outreach they're sending cold email or their linkedin thing and then they get a lead get somebody who says yeah hey i'm interested thanks for reaching out it's great to meet you we'd love to chat there's a whole other problem that now comes about that most people would think sweet i've got a lead i've got a hot one that's great. Yay. Now I just have to close this deal. No problem. But it is a problem. So let's talk about that. What happens? Man, I love your little setup there because so many people would look at that and say, oh my gosh. Yeah, we got one on the hook, boys. Like, here we go. Reeling in the big right. fish. 
And now you and I, what we know is that just because someone responds to an email doesn't mean that they, number one, they, they might not even have a project. Number two, they might not be the right person. And at that point, why do you want to talk to them? So there's this qualification step that happens um, that, yeah, there's, there's a piece in there that's more complicated than just, wow, we got a response to our email. Next step is a project. Yes. Yes. And I love I loved that what, you, you started just raising all these questions like, wait, do we actually want to work with this firm? Are they actually a potential good fit? Do they even have a project? Do they even have a budget? Do we even like these people? I mean, it just goes yeah. on and on. I'll tell you. And a, on. And here, yeah, go ahead. I got a quick story. I had a a client do some outreach and their targets were pretty wide. So a lot of different, on my end, a lot of different names went into their pool of outreach. And one of those people ended up being, uh, I think it was like the Humane Society or one of those, one of those foundations for helping take care of animals. And they basically responded and they're like, oh, wow, your work is really great. We have people that do pro bono work for us. Here's a list of some of the the other pro bono work that we've had done for us in the past. And can you do something like Hmm. this for us? So just an interesting thing. Yeah, it was positive. And of course they want to work with you because, hey, maybe you'll do free work for us. So (laughs) that's a pretty tangible example of. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say, please, please don't fill my sales pipeline with those leads in it. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll take a few, but you know, I, I've got plenty of, right. I've got my favorite nonprofits and charities that I support, and I want to do that. But, well, I'll, let me tell. I'll tell uh, uh, one of my stories that also illustrates this point, um, without naming names, because we'll protect the innocent here. But I remember a few years ago when you and I were working with uh, a motion design studio, and I remember I was. One day I, I was having a meeting with this, the EP and she was responsible for sales and I was opening up pipe drive with her and we were looking at all of the deals in her sales pipeline. And I was asking her, Hey, how many, uh, how many leads that we've gotten through our, through this system have converted in the last year? Cause we've made these investments, right? With, with you and your system and these other marketing things and so forth. And she didn't really answer the question. She said, oh, well, this, 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 this. And I said, no, no, no. I'm, I want to know how many actual jobs, how many of these have actually become clients and how many dollars have those generated? And she's like, oh, hmm. So she does a little calculation and she comes back and says zero. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Let me get this straight. You have a sales pipeline here that has one and a half million dollars worth of projects in it. From all of these amazing new prospective clients, and none of these have converted in a year. And I said, our system is clearly broken. We need to completely figure out a new approach or something. And she's like, no, 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 no. No, no, no. Please don't. Please don't. I've got a million and a half dollars worth of potential deals here. Don't touch my system. And I said, but you don't understand. After a year, I don't care. I don't care if you have $100 million in deals. If nothing's converting, we're not actually getting any new business. Why would we continue this? And her answer was, well, I just need to follow up. I just need to touch base. I just need to send them a note. And maybe someday, 
somehow one of these will convert. And as I really got into it, I realized none of these leads are qualified. So none of them are ever going to convert. And so here I have this expensive $100,000 a year salesperson spending her time every day hovering over all these deals, all these deals, and no results. And that's when I realized leads can actually be a giant distraction because if they're not qualified, you want to take them out back and shoot them as quickly as possible. Right. 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 Yeah. So that's my story of just getting leads is good, but it's half the equation because it's, it's those, it's those leads and then qualifying them and saying, okay, great. These are worth our time and effort to convert into new clients and new business. And this is where you and I came up with the uh, diet and exercise analogy. So tell, let's tell people about that. What's, what's the, What's that analogy about? Yeah, so if you have this this goal that you want to lose weight, you need two things. You need the diet and you need the exercise. And I'll go I'm going to use your example, the story you just told again, Joel. Let's say that the goal is you want a pipeline with 1.5 million dollars. That sounds pretty great, right? That's the that's, uh, awesome. that's moving towards the great work with great people dream that we start of this podcast with that's right now you know that a goal without a plan is just a wish so it sounds like that lady that salesperson was just wishing that they had 1.5 million dollars because they didn't actually have a plan to move them through the pipeline and turn that into a project that's right well so you and i have come up with an actual plan to move leads through that pipeline, well, to generate leads and then to move them through a pipeline all the way to close. And that would be the sales keeping uh, program, I guess, for mm-hmm. for that sake. Uh, and then, so the two pieces, the two sections that we've devised, we've called it diet and exercise because you need, you need to do both to create a, a solid sales pipeline and to follow our sales keeping process. So, Correct me. I think I'm getting this right, Joel. So uh, my portion is the exercise and your portion is the diet. Uh, Correct. Correct. The reason we split it up like that is because there's an exercise to, to the sales cycle. The exercise is the portion that we're sending out lead generation emails. We're finding the people to target. We're finding their emails and we're trying to contact them. And that is exercise. That's the work. Uh, that's the activity. Yes. Yeah. And then my, the, the, the piece that I like to focus on, which is that diet side is like, okay. And then what is it? That, what's the actual, the food, what's the substance? So the exercise is the activity, but the diet is, well, what's the positioning of this firm? Like what's their claim to fame and what are they great at? What's their expertise? And then once we start this dialogue and this conversation, how do we, do it in such a way that we're nurturing and qualifying these leads in through that sales cycle. Um, but right, the, the, here's the, the analogy works because you could, your doctor could tell you diet and exercise and you could go out and crush your diet, but without exercise, your, your ability to lose that weight and become healthy is going to be very compromised. And obviously the converse is true as well. You could focus on the other and neglect the one, and you're still going to have a very compromised results. And this is where you and I keep saying, okay, so good sales keeping, 
and saleskeeping is just simply a, a convenient label for what I <clears throat> what I call treating marketing and sales as a system and as a routine, like you do bookkeeping. That 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 consistent uh, diet and exercise applied over time generates results, and actually gets you gets you closer to that dream that we've been talking about. I I love that word picture of the diet and exercise too, because just like a regular diet, it's tempting to just snack on things that you like to, that are, that are enjoyable in the moment. So potato chips or like Oreo cookies or whatever, and you get a whole package of them and then you just, you keep going. And it sounds like that was what was happening with this pipeline full of people that weren't really going to turn into real leads there were no solid meat on those bones or it wasn't it wasn't filled with protein it wasn't going to be healthy for the life of that firm but the salesperson sure liked to go snack on those leads and look through that pipeline and say oh look it's 1.5 million dollars but that wasn't healthy for the firm so your job as the consultant is to cut those things out and say nope we're killing that project because it's not healthy yes Yes, and and of course, <clears throat> your salesperson will be absolutely mortified when you say, "Oh, I'm going to take all of these leads that are not qualifying, and delete them." Ah, no, please don't. Yeah. I, you know, that's that's there's so much potential there. Um, but I I I actually implement a routine, and this is something that people can implement right away. Is when I get when one of my clients gets a new lead. So let's say Emmett, they're running your system, and you get a lead for us, and you say, "Hey." so-and-so at XYZ company, uh, they're interested, take it away. I actually give whoever is responsible for taking that lead, putting it into the sales pipeline and qualifying is, I give them 30 days. I say, you got 30 days to, to qualify this lead. And there's simple rules. It might be like, have they ever worked with an agency like us before? Do they have a budget? Are they a good fit? I mean, whatever, maybe the three R's, right? There's all kinds of ways, but whatever those rules are, I want that person to have a clock ticking called, if you can't qualify this deal or this lead within 30 days, I'm gonna take it out back and shoot it. And so it creates this sense of urgency rather than this perpetual, oh, but if I just reach out and I just touch base and I follow up, because everyone believes this myth of, oh, it's just, it's all about following up. It's all about following up. And I'm like, no, if they're unqualified, you could follow up a million times and you still have nothing. I love that. Yeah. And it's something that I say too. It's bugging is not a strategy. So replace Thank the you. word following up with bugging and see how far that gets you. Because to some, <laughs> at some point you're going to say, well, if, if I just bug them enough, they'll give me a project. How yeah. And how rational does that sound? Right, right. I know. And you put it in those terms, it's like, oh, right. I'm just bugging people. That's my job. My job is yep. full-time bugging. Yay. Well, let me, let me offer this framework too, because to maybe bring it back and make it as simple as possible, because we've talked about diet and exercise uh, analogy. But I, for, for anyone that's wondering, well, what's the big picture, right? Like, what's the big idea in order to get to the dream? Um, the way I describe saleskeeping is three phases. And that is you're doing lead generating, you're doing qualifying, and then you're doing closing. And when the system's working well, the owners typically are only involved in the closing. And this is part of the genius of the whole thing is 
you know, we often want that owner to be focused on their genius, which might be the creative work um, or other areas of the business, which means if they can delegate lead generating and delegate qualifying, so what happens is their employee says, hey, we got a lead, we qualified them, they're ready for a meeting and take it away. That's a great moment for the owner to step in and be like, okay, so you found the door, you knocked on the door, you opened the door, now I, all I gotta do is walk into the room and do my razzle dazzle and pitch them a bunch of cool ideas and we get a project. That's a pretty sweet way to be if you're the owner. Yeah, I totally agree. And it provides, it, it is, it's like a one-two punch because you got, you've got the salesperson doing the setup, actually set up spike. That would be better. You've got the setup and then the owner can come in and spike and say, yep, this will be a great project. We're so excited to work with you and please give us your money. (laughs) So this might be a good moment for me to maybe remind myself um, or Ethan on my team that I should probably post my diagram. You know, my sales keeping diagram that you and I've looked at many times because I have the really simple one. And then, the one that you and I look at all the time is the more detailed one, which it's 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 almost depressing because you think, okay, I got to lead generate, I got to qualify, and I got to close. No, no problem. But then when you unpack each of those, like you said earlier, that lead generation and outreach piece, once you actually uh, sort of expand it and you look at all the activities and the systems there, you realize, oh man, something that's just called lead qualifying, when I actually like unfold that little folder and I see all the little steps involved there, it's a whole thing. It's a whole little world unto itself. And the same is true with qualifying. And of course, the same is true with closing big time. But I don't, I don't say this to discourage folks, but rather say, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll try and post my diagram so people can understand like what's actually there. Because you and I don't have the time or space to go through all that. That would be, that would be the next 30 podcasts. Right. But it's a great point that that ends up, that becomes the thing that overwhelms people and keeps them from being able to close leads and really to even start generating, yeah, filling their pipeline, generating leads. Because, I mean, you and I know that to some extent, this is all just a numbers game. It becomes like a funnel. And the more people you put in the top, the more people are going to reach the bottom. Unless there's, obviously, unless there's a big, huge leak in the side of your funnel, like your website is broken, or your positioning is very forgettable, or right. X, Y, Z. There, there may be some catastrophic issues, but to some extent, if you don't have any catastrophic issues and you, and you have a funnel set up, it is a numbers game. Yeah, it's this idea of you're doing the right things consistently, you're going to see results. It's not, it's really, that's not a big insight. But right. it's, it is true. And it is, and, and we often forget because we, I think we often think it's about shiny objects, right? Oh, exactly. I just met the CMO of this company and we're going to go get a meeting. And if we blow them away in the meeting, we're going to get, you know, a big job and have a big new client. And then you spend a month preparing and then the meeting gets blown off. And then you realize, you oh, wait a minute. Is they say, hey, great. You can buy lunch for our entire department. <laughs> well, we'll consider you. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the agent the, the ad agencies out there love to play that game. Yep. Because yeah, there's all these studios that love to go in and do those screenings and and all that. Well, let's let me ask this question to get back to the dream. Cuz I think we we've, we've covered a lot of ground here. We should probably wrap it up before we we overwhelm people. In terms of the 
the the studios and and the agencies that you and I've worked with, can you give people a sense of okay, the good news is once you do put these pieces in place and you build these systems and get these routines going, what what is possible? Like are you seeing your clients uh, break into new markets or finally work with that dream client or like what's what's possible? Let's let's encourage people. Yeah, it always makes my day when I see a, a response from some gigantic company, like a senior marketing manager at PepsiCo will respond to a client and say, wow, this is such a great timely email. We have a project that might be right up your alley. And I love that because to me, as OnRamp, <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a creative studio, but I do work with a ton of great people. And I love being able to be part of the work that they produce, even just in a small way, because I love this industry and the messages that we can spread and just the beautiful designs that are created. So being a part of that for me is so great uh, as a, as a vendor. And furthermore, I can see the result that it has for my clients and for the people that they employ. And it's the, the two, the two partners and then their new executive producer. Um, I'm not going to say a mom and pop shop, but for me, that's, that's as real as it gets because those people are my friends and I love to be able to help them. Yeah. And, and of course, breaking into new markets and working with a dream client, that stuff is of course possible uh, because I do happen to have systems that do those things. But right. for me, it's not necessarily about the systems. It's about the results. Well, I love that. And I love the point you made about the mom and pop thing. Like these are our friends. And that's, that's a dimension to this industry that I love as well. And to me, it is also, it's so satisfying when I feel like there's so many creative entrepreneurs out there. I'm thinking of two of my, two of my clients right now. One runs a production company, one runs a motion design studio. And they both started off the year slow, we're struggling, we're not, you know, like we're, we're even wondering, should we keep this up? And now fast forward to this time of the year where now we're almost going into the fall and putting these pieces in place, positioning, website, outreach, lead gen, uh, consistent uh, follow-ups, qualifying, all that. And both of these clients of mine in just the past few weeks, um, one of them won like nine projects in one week and they're so busy, they don't know how they're gonna get it all done. <laughs> this is what we call good problems. We love having good problems but uh, instead of bad problems. Uh, and then the other one, the production company, they just pitched a, a, a major TV network um, for, for an opportunity that we didn't, we didn't even think we had a really a great shot at because we were up against three or four other killer uh, studios out there, but we just, we just won it. And now oh, wow. that pitch is, yeah, not only is it awarded, but it's already expanding and growing because we're going in and solving the deeper problem and they're realizing, oh, we need even more and you can help us with this and help us with that. So all that to say, I share that to just bring it back to that dream of the dream is the creative entrepreneurs out there that are frustrated and they feel stuck and they think, gosh, I know I'm capable of doing great work that makes a difference in my clients' businesses or in the world. Um, I think you and I find it's such a thrill to come alongside them and get them in, in a good place where the needs that are out there are finding and connecting with their expertise and their genius. And that's a, 
It's like right. a beautiful, you know, equation or alchemy when those things finally come together. It is. Yeah. And I think it fits well with my personality. Maybe, maybe you can empathize with this too, but I have trouble looking at a blank page. Bear with me in this analogy, but looking at a blank page and trying to build something, whether it's uh, even maybe like writing or any sort of artistic pursuit, it's hard to start from zero. And in my industry as a consultant to creative studios, I'm always starting with this amazing bursting with personality creative studio and my job is not to build something from scratch but it's to help build what they already have and turn it into something better and that's why i loved working at RevThink with you guys and i think that same heart of mine has continued with this it's like i can look at what you've done and i can applaud the effort so far and just take the magic that's there and hope to scale it up and present to the world just in in such a great way yeah that's that's very cool and i'm gonna i think i'm gonna just let that one lie because you said it so well yes i can relate but um i think that's actually a really nice way to sort of put a bow on this conversation and say yes let's go let's go keep doing that <laughs> because uh it's needed and it's going to be really fun to continue to watch the results come about as uh as we we see these owners put these systems and routines in place. Awesome. Well, Joel, I'm really grateful that you've allowed me to come speak on your podcast and talk to your audience. And I'm excited about the sales keeping diet and exercise program as well. I think we'll see a, <laughs> lot, of, a lot of really great results out of that. Yeah, cool. Well, I appreciate you sharing your expertise um, and just showing up and, and being that generous person who's always willing to to share your insights on this, this tricky messy area that we know needs needs a lot of help and love yeah my pleasure you've been listening to the rev thinking podcast for more information on upcoming accelerators events or to learn how rev think advises creative entrepreneurs like you connect with us at revthink.com i want to tell you about a place to connect that you might not know about It's our online community called Rev Community. It's a great place to get to know other creative business owners like yourself, to share some thought leadership and read other encouragement, to be challenged in this new marketplace, new technology, ideas, economic trends, and it's a place to research. Check out many of the resources we have online, our videos, and of course, this podcast. Join us today at revthink.com slash community. If you're a creative studio owner, feel free to join us today at revthink.com slash community. I look forward to seeing you there.